You are listening to the LA Sports Roundtable. Welcome to the LA Sports Roundtable. This is the HAF. With me is the Toyanator, Matt Montoya. Let's do this. We're here podcasting the LA Sports Roundtable to you from RT1 Studios. Here at the Roundtable, we talk LA sports. those of you who listen, thank you. And please give us a shout out and a follow on Twitter and Instagram at LASportsRT1. This episode is the LA Sports Roundtable's end of year NFL special. Montoya and I discuss the LA pro football sports scene with the Rams collapse, the Raiders being the Raiders, Anthony Lynn's future with the Chargers, and other NFL topics. Also, we reflect on tight ends Tyler Higby of the Rams, Hunter Henry of the Chargers, and Darren Waller of the Raiders in our Who's Better segment because we compare LA players and we decide who's better. Okay, Montoya, the LA Rams lost to the New York Jets of New Jersey in division pony. Seattle Seahawks, or Sea Chickens as you prefer to call them. 
Seattle has won the NFC West for the first time since 2016 when the Rams were still coached by the mustache, Jeff Fisher. By winning, the Jets jeopardized their chances of getting the number one pick in the draft, and now it's confirmed with Jacksonville Jaguars now securing the number one pick. The Rams have to win against division opponent in Arizona in order to punch their ticket at the playoffs. But Jared Goff just broke his thumb and his throwing hand, and he's reverted to being prone to making mistakes versus showing his acumen for intelligence when, when playing the Jets and the Hawks. Chucky from Child's Play Gruden failed again along with the Las Vegas Raiders who abandoned Oakland twice when they lost to the Miami Dolphins 26-25, ensuring they will not make the playoffs which isn't a big surprise, to be honest, to anyone who's a fan of football. The L.A. Chargers, who should have never left San Diego, have no shot at the playoffs either. But with Anthony Lynn making some gaffes this year with coaching decisions, the question is, will he even have a job next season as coach of the Chargers? Montoya, what's the bigger news story for L.A. pro football as of this moment? The Rams may be missing the playoffs if they don't win their last game against the Cardinals. The Raiders being the Raiders and missing the playoffs? Or will Anthony Lynn be the coach of the Chargers next season? Well, I'm going to say the biggest news in L.A. sports right now has definitely got to be the Rams missing the playoffs. This is a team that pretty much owned the NFC West all year to have some Chargers-like uh, collapse at the end of the season, not just at the end of the game, um, to allow Seattle and the Sea Chickens to take – this division from them, literally just like Debo, give me that, you know, give me that chain. Um, the other thing about that is I don't know what's happening to this team, but, um, you know, it went from being that McVay and even his barista were looking at getting NFL jobs, whoever it was that made his coffee every day at Starbucks, to what is happening to this team <laughs> Um, I realize there's still a chance for them to get into the playoffs, but what in the hell is going on with this team? When it comes to Anthony Lynn, um, I don't, I don't think he's going to be there next year. I think this is it. I think he's got one more game and uh, he's going to go the way of the last Broncos coach who was hired at the same time as he was and is now the defensive coordinator of the Arizona Cardinals. So we'll see what happens with Anthony Lynn, but uh, I don't really foresee him staying with uh, the Chargers much longer, the Chargers are in a new stadium. They lucked out this year in the fact that COVID hit and there was no expectation in terms of draw. But things are going to start to get really, really ugly next year when there's actually people who can get into that stadium. And Stan Kroenke is looking to make money off concessions. Um, the last part about that with the Raiders is, you know, whether they're in the suburb of L.A. known as Las Vegas or whether they were still here in L.A., or whether they were in Oakland twice. When was the last time they actually did anything? Ronald Reagan was not only alive, he was still president. So this is no surprise. Okay, number one, I agree with you about, just for the bigger L.A. story, about the collapse of the Rams. And um, you brought up a good point, that for the season, the whole season, the most part, they were basically in control of the division. The last two games versus the Jets and um, Seahawks, two losses in a row, uh, solidified. I think this is a collapse. And, and when you're talking about the NFL and you have 16 games in a season, two games, you know, as uh, losing in a row, 
I think definitely can indicate a collapse versus something like in baseball, losing a division over a month or a couple months being, or, you know, going into the last month and then just uh, falling out of first place. Um, let me finish. And then as far as um, Anthony Lynn, you know what, when things are going good, he was a smart coach. But this year, with his mistakes, specifically at end of games and the losses the Chargers have had at the end of games, I do agree with you. I don't. I think the writing is on the wall with him maybe being fired. And then the whole thing you mentioned about the Broncos' former coach, I assume you're talking about Vance Joseph. Um, because, um, you know, another thing is they're, they're both African-American men. And what do they have in the NFL? They have the Rooney Rule, where you have to interview a minority candidate for NFL head coaching positions. So I think that's another part of the dynamic. And another interesting thing about that, being the second biggest NFL football story in L.A. right now, is the fact that Lynn, in um, the beginning of the year, pre-pandemic, this was uh, going to be the last year of his contract, but the Chargers being the Chargers gave him only a one-year extension because of his marginal success. Um, but back to the point of Lynn, I mean, I think he's had enough time in the league as a head coach to have these growing pains, even though he hasn't had a lot of experience. Nobody's saying that about Sean McVay. Um, he has had some questionable decisions this year and in previous years, but it seems like it's been uh, spotlighted on Anthony Lynn. And I agree with the Raiders. Nobody is surprised because the Raiders are the Raiders. And all they do is um, they commit penalties and they never make the playoffs or they did make the playoffs a few years ago. And then all of a sudden people were Raiders fans up north. And that was probably more than a few years ago. I mean, last time they made the playoffs when Derek Carr was still um, in his rookie deal. So what do you think about that? Well, the first thing that I want to say is let's not put the Chargers collapsing at the end of games on Anthony Lynn. The Chargers have been collapsing at the end of games since long before Anthony Lynn was the head coach. Let's just set the record straight on that. Let's look at that game against Peyton Manning and Peyton Manning's first year as a Bronco. They had what? What was it? A 21, 24 point lead. And the Broncos came back to win that game at Qualcomm. Um, this has been going on for a while. This isn't something new, and you can't put the late game collapses just on Lynn. I realize that uh, he's the head coach for these most recent ones, but this seems to have been cultural when it comes to the Chargers. So um, I don't know that he necessarily needs to take the full brunt of that. Well, then should he be fired? You think he, You said you think he will be fired, but should the man have a job next season? Going Do I think he should? Last year of his contract, which would have been his one-year extension. I absolutely think that he should be the head coach next year. And the reason being is to give some consistency to their young quarterback. Let's take a look at Drew Locke in Denver. As everybody knows, I'm a Broncos fan. So what happened at the end of last year when the Broncos were running an offense that's a little bit more traditional Broncos offense? It was West Coast offense. They took a guy from Kyle Shanahan and – you know, he was doing a great job with Locke. Locke was making great decisions, and he went 4-1. and one. Now they have a more traditional play caller in Pat Shermer, and Drew Locke looks confused. Now, 
you can chalk that up to you. There was no off season. There was no preseason. There was no this. There was no that. But let's take a look at what the Chargers have with their young QB, who also didn't previously have any experience in the NFL in addition to no preseason and, you know, no meetings. And he looks pretty good. Now you're going to take this kid who already did something fairly astounding and you're going to force him to go learn a new offense and everything else. I just think that's a bad idea. A little bit of consistency never hurt anyone or anything. And okay, uh, the then, then why, um, if, if like, and I brought up that uh, Lynn and Joseph as uh, African-American men and the emphasis to hire African-American or minority candidates as head coaches in the NFL with the Rooney rule, then why did the Broncos have that consistency in, uh, in uh, keeping Vance Joseph? Because Vance Joseph was a figurehead. Um, Vance Joseph didn't have – I don't know if you ever saw the movie um, Major League Two, but Vance Joseph Is that what Scott Bakula? Uh, no, it, it, it was still the same cast, but they introduced oh. the guy from Japan – you have no models. Oh, no. yeah, okay. All right. So Vance Joseph didn't have the marbles to stand up to John Elway to allow him to make coaching decisions. So Elway was essentially telling him who his coaches were going to be, telling him what he was going to do, and he was essentially a figurehead with the title, and he never truly got the opportunity to be a head coach. And we got to see what it was like to have John Elway as a coach, and John Elway as a coach is the same thing as Magic Johnson as a coach. It's just not going to happen. But so Vance Joseph, while he did get a chance, he was never actually a head coach in the NFL because everything he did, Elway was over his shoulder overriding him. Okay. So, so um, in light of that, you know, I would, I would question if uh, Fangio has independence in, in being the head coach. Versus Van Secondly, let, 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 well, let, let me respond to that real quick. At the beginning of um, the Fangio era, Elway had handpicked Gary Kubiak to be his offensive coordinator, and Fangio was like, "No, nah, I've waited too long in this league to be a head coach to not pick my guys." So they made a compromise on the uh, kid from San Francisco, who they fired at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Okay. So based on that, and based on the Chargers being the Chargers and um, notoriously cheaper than the Denver Broncos and anybody else, um, and I think I think a lot of it has been in sports media, especially with the talk show hosts, the national talk show hosts, building up Anthony Lynn, being, you know, with a target on him to potentially be fired. Now, do I think he should come back? He only got a one-year extension. I I'm gonna say yes, and I'm gonna say why. I I mean I you know the the questionable plays he's made it to lose games at the end of games for the Chargers this season. Um, I don't think outweigh consistency like you brought up. Number one, number two, I think the media and you know I don't want to say I mean the media the media I mean okay I don't want to generalize too much here. <laughs> But um, I have heard it, and I've had uh, heard it with um, the likes of um, Bill Ryder and Damon Amendolara of uh, CBS Sports Radio talking about how Anthony Lane should be fired just 
not to say the media are okay to be specific and say those guys. Secondly, so it is something for those guys and others to talk about when saying who should be fired and calling for him to be fired or whatnot, national and national sports radio. Okay. However, um, if you look at the Cowboys and how did they have Jason Garrett for so long, every single year, it seemed like uh, uh, figures in national sports radio were talking about how Garrett should be fired or is Jerry Jones finally going to let him go? And you know when Jerry Jones let him go? When his contract was up. And guess who owns uh, the Chargers? The Spanos family. Do you think they're going to pay him for not coaching? <laughs> Hell no. So that's why they give him a one-year contract extension in pre-pandemic. Is like, okay, you know, if he fucks up this year, then he has one more year. And if he still fucks up, then he will not, his contract will not be renewed. So that's why I think it is just uh, media fodder talk for sports radio. And that is why I think they will keep Anthony Lynn. And another thing is, you know, how many African-American head coaches are there in the NFL? He's the only one. Right? Uh, what about in Pittsburgh? Oh, Tomlin. Okay. All right. Correction. Two. <laughs> but Tomlin has been has been a good coach. He's done a lot. He has a secure position. And uh, but yeah. let, let's 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 look at the anomaly that is the Pittsburgh Steelers before we go down that road though. Um, how many head coaches have they had over the last few decades? What, three? Well, you bring up consistency. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers know all about consistency when you're talking about head coaches in the NFL. I'm going to agree with you. I'm just saying they, they are the anomaly. Um, whether things are good or whether things are bad, they show some faith. They stick behind their coaches. They keep that consistency going, and they don't have a lot of uh, down years. Let's just be honest. I mean, there's been – you know, look at the 70s. They were the team of the 70s. The 80s, they weren't very good. The 90s, they were really good. The 2000s, they were pretty good. And now they're still pretty good. I think they're going to take the Chiefs out in the playoffs, or at least that's what I'm hoping for. Well, that's to be seen. And if uh, Big Ben, you have to you have to acknowledge Big Ben has uh, been a big part of that franchise, just like Mike Tomlin has been. I mean, Big Ben has been in the league a long time now, just like Tommy Tita. But I do want to bring up, going back to the Chargers, uh, Justin Herbert, you have said multiple times on this podcast that Herbert will be Joey Harrington 2.0. However, you know what Herbert did today? He set the all-time rookie record in the NFL for touchdowns by a quarterback. Now, is he still Joey Harrington 2.0 because you were initially a Tyrod Taylor fan and saying Tyrod Taylor should start? And Tyrod Taylor got the punctured lung opening the door for Joey Harrington 2.0. But now, <laughs> Joey Harrington 2.0 is looking like a first-round um, quarterback like he is being drafted early by the Chargers this year, setting the all-time rookie record in the NFL for touchdowns by a quarterback. Are you still convinced he's going to be a bust, or are you sold on Justin Herbert? I'm not sold on Justin Herbert yet. Let me de defend my position. Do I think he's a good quarterback? Yes. But 
The Chargers have some very solid, very experienced wide receivers. One of whom, his contract, Mike Williams, is up this year. So now they have to figure out a way to also pay him and keep him around. They also have to keep their more dynamic receiver on the other side of him around. They're also going to, I don't know how many, how much longer they have Eckler for on his contract. The offensive line is a little bit shoddy. Um, but, but beyond all of that, we are looking at a rookie quarterback who isn't playing against full strength NFL defenses yet. We have players who have opted out of contracts to sit out this year because of COVID. We've had um, teams play like the Broncos played without a quarterback. Um, so this hasn't been a normal year. So let's take a look at a guy who's dominating the league right now in Josh Allen. His first two years were terrible. They were absolutely shitty. And um, the third year, he's kind of figuring it out. We'll see what happens to Drew Locke. And let's see what happens when um, he's facing, when our Chargers quarterback is facing full on NFL defenses with nobody out for COVID restrictions, nobody sick due to COVID. And everybody's had a chance to watch his film and his tendencies for a year. Okay. Um, however, on the flip side, he could only get better because of his success as a rookie with this Chargers team. You bring up Eckler, you bring up Williams, you bring up Allen. He's got weapons. Now, I just looked up Eckler's contract, and I believe after this year, he has three more years left on his deal. Um, it says okay. on the NFL.com that he agreed early this year after last season to a four-year extension worth $24.5 million with $15 million guaranteed. So he's going to be around the next three years, which means that takes him into the end of Herbert's uh, rookie deal to his fifth-year option. And what I really like about Herbert, um, he's tall, he's strong, he ran it in. He had to run it in twice at the end of the game uh, to get the victory. And proving he is tough, and I never saw that in Joy Harrington at all. You have Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen was extended. Who knows about Mike Williams? I think they may be able to keep him because he hasn't really performed himself. It's his fifth-year option, so they already said they were going to take his fifth-year option, which means he's going to get paid like $17 million for the season next year, something like that, um, for that one year. So because of that fifth-year option, you know, he's going to get paid like he's top five talent. You're talking about Herbert. No, I'm talking about uh, Williams, the receiver. Oh, yeah, and his fifth-year option for next year, as I just looked it up, is going to be 157 million dollars and he's making eight hundred and twenty five thousand dollars this year um so so you see my you see my point with that though it's going to squeeze everything a little bit tighter that means since they've already agreed that they're picking up the option they have to pay him so what is going to suffer are they going to lose someone on the defense are they going to lose someone on the offensive line they still you know what what is the status of their defensive lineman like joey bosa um you know who's extended who's already been extended okay so, again, um, so something's going to have to give I, um, because I think there's going to be a salary cap retraction next year because of COVID. Am I correct in that? Um, I don't I, – you know, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd have to look that up, but I would not be surprised if that actually happens. 
uh, due to the fans not being in the stands unless you're in uh, uh, Red Florida. State, <laughs> 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 which is now a super spreader, which are super spreader locations now. But let them, you know, do what they want. They're saying 25% capacity, and then you see like 50% of uh, the stands filled up. But, you know, that's all debatable versus the prudence of, um, I guess, blue state arenas and stadiums, which have no fans in the stands like, you know, we've seen. And you have the 49ers having to go to Arizona to play their home games, which is, uh, which is I think, just dumb. Like, I'm dumbfounded why they have to go there. I mean, why don't they ask to go to SoFi or um, or the Coliseum or something? But no, they have to go to Arizona. And uh, but you know, I mean, that's another question, I guess, uh, or for I, going a little I, bit I, off topic. I think that's just a bit of a money grab by the owner. I mean, he's he's taking advantage of the fact that Arizona's a red state. There's going to be less taxes, and there's going to be less COVID restrictions because they don't believe in COVID there. I mean, this well, is a state that a lot. This is a state that allowed Ohio to to racially profile. They're not going to accept COVID. And someone did say on this podcast early on, I don't want to name any names, but it's just the flu. It's just the flu, you know. But at any rate, (laughs) um, at least science and truth, uh, you know, over, yeah, prevail and override everything. But, um, but okay, (laughs) let's, uh, let's go on to um, uh, the Jets. Okay, yes. because sticking to the NFL, the Jets are on a two-game winning streak. They beat the Rams, <laughs> and they beat the Cleveland Browns. And guess who solidified the number one pick next year? Not the Jets, which means it's the Jacksonville Jaguars. So is this no, the no. end? Soon to be London Jaguars. Well, I think they should stay. All teams should be in the States because this is an American game. I should. I think they should revitalize NFL Europe. I liked it, but um, you're talking about well, spring I, league, I which we still got to talk about a spring league quarterback, former one. But sticking to the Jets, they were talking about being in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes and giving up on Sam Darnold, and now it looks like Sam Darnold um, played his way to keeping his job because Jacksonville may give up on Minshew Mania by getting Trevor <laughs> Lawrence. What will be the impact of the Jets' two wins going into the last week of the season, Montoya? Well, first of all, what the hell is happening to these two playoff-caliber teams that both the Rams and the Browns – and let's say that again. Cleveland is a playoff team. I don't think anybody said that since uh, they lost to the Broncos in the AFC Championship in 1989. But Cleveland is a playoff team. Team, go ahead, Browns fans, celebrate! Uh, it's been a long time coming. Hey, Bernie um, Kosar, Ozzie Newsom, who's now the former GM of the Ravens, correct? Whose uh, legacy lives on in Lamar Jackson. But I digress. Um, let's just say Cleveland is in the playoffs. But Cleveland, you had a Cleveland moment when you lost to. The N-O-T-Y-E-T-S-S-S, the not yet, um, along with Sean McVay and the team that uh, the Jets beat and turned them into the L-A-M-B-S, the Lambs. I don't know what happened to these two teams that allowed this meltdown to happen. I do know that 
the Rams were overlooking the Jets, obviously, and they were trying to prepare for the game they lost today. So it turned into two losses for the Rams, and this is just snowballing into a catastrophe. But in true Jets fashion, um, they ended up being the Mets compared to the Giants being the, the Yankees in New York, and they fucked up an opportunity to get the best quarterback we've seen in quite some time. Okay. Now, you know what I think? I'm not big on conspiracy theories, but... <laughs> He's not here but, anymore. <laughs> but, you know, with the whole acceptance of gambling in this country now, and um, I heard, going back to um, the Damon and Mandalara show, he has this guy named uh, Mraz on his show. And you know what Mraz says sometimes? When What's gambling, that? when talking about gambling, okay, when everybody, like talking about the zigzag in betting, when, when everybody zigs, as in bets on, uh, as in bets on the team, that it, the money, big money team that everybody's going to bet on, then you zag. So guess what? When everybody was betting on the Rams to beat the Jets, guess what? Every anyone, you know, as in all the mob bosses in this country that are covert, you know, as in uh, like Donald Trump probably, probably bet on the New York Jets, the not yets, and made a <laughs> shitload of money. Now, with the whole acceptance of gambling and with the Raiders having gone to Las Vegas – and with the hockey team being Vegas, and everybody's talking about, like, oh, gambling is harmless. Um, you know what? I think, I think deep down there may be some conspiracy to, to manipulate professional uh, games for the purpose of taking money and making money. Now, am I completely uh, sounding like a Trumper or what? No, there's no QAnon in your game right there. Let me back that up by saying I have a family Q, member. Q dumb dumb non what? Q dumb non truth what? <laughs> I found a I found a pile of Q on my lawn. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> and I have a family member who played in the NFL, and I happened to be at his house on Sunday last Sunday, helping his son build his new gaming computer. And he was jumping up and down, super happy that the Jets were winning. And his wife's like, okay, OB, those are his initials. What are you so excited about? He's all, I bet on the Jets. <laughs> so <laughs> it's exactly like what you said. He was zagging when everybody else was zigging. So you, you make a valid point. Like sometimes there was no point in even betting on that game unless you were going to try to take the Jets for the upset because you had to bet 100 to make five. If you were betting on the Rams and they won, yeah, and um, and those who gamble frequently, you know, um, probably were like anticipating that as guaranteed five dollars off of to make a hundred and five dollars or whatever <laughs> off of their hundred bucks. But you know, I mean, like I said, I'm not a big conspiracy theorist. I don't. I only believe the truth and not these made up conspiracy theories. But based on history of gambling in this country, that's my inference, you know, and that hey, I'll leave well, it at that. Here's, here's point number two. There is an NFL team in Vegas now. <laughs> so you just, you never, ever 
No. As sports have become more open to the idea of being in Vegas, it's like the equivalency of the Jets moving from the Meadowlands, New Jersey, to um, Atlantic City, New Jersey. I mean, there. I don't know if there's necessarily not a reason to think what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, things have changed so much culturally that I think you're correct. Oh, I, I think you have a high probability of being correct. Let's just put it that way. And, of course, you know, this is, I mean, this is not completely far-fetched. If you look at the NBA and Tim Donahue and uh, what he did back in the day to manipulate NBA games. Um, yeah, I just, uh, and then at the same time, look, those people who bet on the Jets this week, same thing. Guess what? Everybody's zigging for the Browns. Then all the mob bosses zag, you know? So sometimes... <laughs> I, I would, you know, sometimes it seems like it's cut and dry on NFL games, but what about any given Sunday? People will be like, no, any given Sunday, any NFL team can uh, win no matter who's on the other side. But how bad the Jets were performing and how bad they lost to the Raiders, um, you know, I mean, and I, I can't believe the Raiders even pulled that off, but that got Greg Williams fired former Rams defensive coordinator who was the defensive coordinator of the Jets who called in the all-out blitz and, um, and uh, had the Jets lose on Derek uh, Carr's Hail Mary. Well, let, let's, let's talk about where he's really famous in a, a specific list. Oh. Are you talking <laughs> about Bounty Gate? I'm talking about Bounty Gate. You can't mention Greg Williams and not mention Bounty Gate. Mm-hmm. That's like trying to mention Richard Nixon and uh, not mentioning the, the Watergate. Yeah, and if we do have any fans who are our listeners who do not know what we're talking about right here, a few years back, the New Orleans Saints had a bounty program where they paid players to injure players on the other team, and that was led by head coach Sean Payton and defensive coordinator Greg Williams. They were both suspended, and New Orleans ended up bringing back Sean Payton as their head coach after being suspended for one year. So if people like that can get away and still have a job, look at Alex Cora, too. Cheated, and now he's back as a a manager in the major leagues. Um, Yeah, I I do think there is some element. And also you're talking about Montoya, Las Vegas, opening up to professional teams. In well, addition to a team that's Who synonymous so with crime. Yes, a team synonymous with crime, <laughs> criminals, um, uh, gang broken gang members, uh, breaking into cars at games, fights at games, <laughs> uh, shoplifting, Shank. stealing. Shank. Um, we're talking about, we're talking about the, the, the Oakland Raiders of L.A. and now Las Vegas. But um, you bring up an excellent point. And also, why was Las Vegas so quick to pay for the Roomba known as Cell Block Vegas <laughs> Allegiant Stadium? What about how come Oakland, you know, and because we all know in California, the uh, government will not use taxpayer money to finance sports stadium. stadiums. But Las Vegas was like, no. We'll pay for most of your stadium here. All you got to do is come. So, and then, hey, now you got 
bull haircut uh, reject owner, <laughs> son of loser owner Al Davis, saying, okay, give me the money. Give me the money. Because I'm broke. I spent all that money on this haircut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or on John Gruden's 10-year, $100 million contract. Well, he needed to save some money on the gas he was spending on his minivan to drive from NorCal to SoCal to get that haircut. So now instead of an eight-hour drive, it's a, it's a four-hour drive. <laughs> well, you, you know what? Although, it, I mean, it's, it's definitely faster and more convenient to drive to Vegas from Los Angeles than San Francisco, Oakland area. So that is for sure. I mean, you got, it's not a quick drive. You got the Sierra Nevadas to deal with. So oftentimes people will drive down South before they go to Vegas, but um, moving on because um, we have a couple more questions here for the NFL. Let's get back to the Rams and LA football. Montoya, Jared Goff. Oh, I, before we dismiss the Jets, I have one more question for you. Mm-hmm. Is the Jets Stadium next to a Loves in New Jersey where the NBA commissioner drives out to to get his morning coffee? <laughs> we'll find out. We'll find out in the next segment when we talk about Adam Douchebag, Jersey Ad Loving Silver, who drives not only there, but 26 <laughs> hours from New York City to the Loves truck stop on Main Street in Boise City, Oklahoma. <laughs> I can't help but laugh every time you do that. And since so, you mentioned Jersey, every time I had to bring that up, let's go ahead and go to the next segment. I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, uh, uh, I don't know where Bordentown, New Jersey is, but that's another one. He drives an hour and 15 minutes from New York City. I don't know where the Meadowlands is in compared to Bordentown, New Jersey, but that's uh, the closest for Adam Douchebag, Jersey Ad, Levin Silver, who enabled Jersey ads in the only professional sports league in the United States, but let's not get too sidetracked here. But I do have a couple more questions about the NFL before we get into the NBA segment, Montoya. Um, about the LA Rams, Jared Goff may have a broken thumb on his throwing hand. And his backup, John Wolford, has never played in the NFL, but was a quarterback in the defunct Alliance of American Football Spring League for the Arizona Hotshots not too long ago. Number one, I don't know how much of the Alliance you watched, but do you think Wolford can beat the Arizona Cardinals and get the Rams into the playoffs if Goff can't play? Broken thumb. I don't know. They could inject the hell out of it and have him throw the ball maybe five yards, but that's it. Well, the Hot Shots were a good team. They were uh, throwing offense. I watched as much of the AAF as I could. As you know, I was excited about it. You and I have a text thread that was happening long before um, the, this podcast and, uh, you and I had actually talked about going down to San Diego to catch one of the games. Uh, I was very the avid fleet. about the San Diego fleet. I wanted to go down to San Diego and catch a game. I was very avid about that. So I did pay attention to the games. The two top teams, in my opinion, were San Antonio and Arizona. The hotshots were a good team. Their quarterback, um, was pretty good. And, uh, they ran kind of a fast paced offense, kind of an RPO type Sean McVay type offense. So I do think he does have the mental capacity to do it. There's a reason why he was in the AAF. I'm a little worried about that part of it, but the Broncos have a cornerback that they picked up by the name of Devonte Bosby. And uh, Bosby has actually played 
pretty well these last couple of years um, with the Broncos. So while McVay is on a, a downslope in terms of uh, what's going on with him and losing to the Jets, I do trust his ability to evaluate a QB. And uh, based off of what Arizona did in the league last year, um, I'm going to say your chances are better than 60% that he'll be able to be at least 60% Jared Goff and possibly even make better decisions. You know what? And going back to something you said about Herbert with they're not, they're only being tape on the guy from being in the Alliance. Um, that can be an advantage for the Rams because yes, he does have some running ability. And the whole thing is if you try, if these teams are knowing like um, trying to prepare for Sean McVay's offense with just Jared Goff, um, they may not take into consideration that they may say, Hey, run, you know, but what run the option there. Yeah. Then do a quarterback draw. But what you risk there is if he gets injured, who are you going to have come in a practice squad quarterback being active for next week, who I don't even know who the Rams have on the practice squad at quarterback or putting Johnny Hecker behind center. They're uh, Hunter? Hunter, who is one of the best in the league at kicking inside the, you know, um, the 20 uh, yard line when he has to punt and getting it in even many times within the 10 yard line when he does have to punt. So, I mean, they can't put him at quarterback in my opinion, because then you're risking injuring his leg or him being able to kick with his leg. So they need to bring in a practice squad quarterback. And I, I'd have to look that up. But he, that does give you some interesting options if he can run, but also throw the ball and get some completions at the same time. So my hope is that they can maybe catch some lightning in a bottle and I want to go back uh, to the early 90s, and I don't know if you remember when Phil Sims went down and uh, Jeff Hostetler came in, who <laughs> coincidentally was coach, – uh, coach, coach of the Colts now, isn't he? I – oh, I was going to – I don't know about that. That surprised me, but, uh, but I remember oh, no. right oh, after no. that, Al Davis, the loser – signed Hostetler to be the full-time quarterback of the Raiders right after he won that Super Bowl. But Hostetler came in and looked like a stud, but nobody fucking seen that guy play in years. Or there wasn't a lot of tape uh, back then and the technology, okay, or maybe access for tape uh, uh, on Hostetler. But I'm sort of reminded of that. And, you know, Hostetler did, I don't want to say have some legs, but um, when he had to go, he would go. On the ground. You know who is former Buffalo Bills quarterback, wrong part of New York, Frank Reich. That's who I'm thinking of. He sucked. No, well, he had to come in for Kelly. He, mm-hmm. and he ended up taking the team to one of the Super Bowls. I thought you were going to say Doug Flutie. Remember, Doug Flutie played for a lot of them. He played for the Bills for a while, and he was fucking amazing um, on the ground. And... Um, yeah. Well, let's take that. Let's take that full circle then. What ended up happening to Doug Flutie in Buffalo? Do you remember? No. I, who the Rams had as their defensive coordinator when they went to the Super Bowl this last time, was the head coach of the Bills, and he was forced by the owner to to play Rob Johnson over Doug Flutie. You're talking about Wade Phillips. 
I am. Uh-huh. So that's what happened to Doug Flutie in Buffalo, even though he deserved to be playing in those uh, playoff games. It was pushed by the owner because of the money and the contract they'd given Johnson earlier in the year to play Rob Johnson, who just took a big dump in the middle of the field, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Rob Johnson, they were, if I remember correctly, he did, um, he was, uh, how do you say it? Like he was built up as his, uh, this potential was built up for a long time. Okay. So well, there was, was a lot of pressure con- to put him in. And I do con- remember con- that. I do. And it, it was like, uh, it was the Todd Morenovich effect. You know, he, you know, you have Flutie who's like 4'11", but can run like crazy, <laughs> has a pretty good arm. And then you had Rob Johnson, who was like six foot eleven, had a super cannon arm, but just didn't have the heart that Flutie did. Yeah, but but he, how could you compare him to Marinovich? He didn't take <laughs> the heroin and uh, cocaine, you know. <laughs> like uh, that's that's what downed uh, Marinovich is. Uh, so basically, hanging back. So basically, hanging out with Charlie Sheen was the downfall of Todd Marinovich. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> and uh, and uh, the Cholos on Los Angeles Street in downtown LA. <laughs> We're making Clippers jerseys. <laughs> in a, in a, Clippers gangster jerseys in a sweatshop. You know? <laughs> and, and sending them to a Loves in New Jersey. <laughs> Born in town, New Jersey. <laughs> Just outside Which, of uh, New York City. One hour and 15 minutes where Adam Douchebag Jersey at Levin Silver goes. Because that's where he can find food that's fitting for a classless commissioner who puts a fucking jersey ad on a jersey, such as the one on the Oklahoma City Thunders uniform. But last Wait. question, last question, NFL. We got to move on, Montoya. We've um, already overextended this segment by double what we anticipated. So last question, and let's get it in, because it was one you texted me. Um, Bill Belichick from the New England Cheetahs who um, has manipulated the game of football for a couple decades, said Cam Newton Should have is... been mentioned in our Vegas segment. He, he absolutely should have been mentioned in that Vegas segment, but go ahead. Well, we need someone to talk about a mob boss. Who did he vote for? Who does he support for, uh, you know, but in politics? But anyway, let's not go for the uh, loser who's going to be vacating the White House and what Belichick all said about him. But – Belichick said Cam Newton is the New England Cheetahs' starting quarterback. Should the Cheaters from New England start Jared Stidham to see if he's the second coming of Tommy Cheetah? I think that if um, the coach had seen anything, had given him any reason to take Cam Newton out of these games and put him out of his misery and get him to some sort of mental institute to help him out with a lot of those issues that he's having from his premature CTE, he would have already played Stidham. (laughs) But I have come to the conclusion (laughs) that Stidham is just not – he doesn't have it. He he is not Jimmy G who he's going to be able to turn around and trade for like six first-round picks. Well – um, the, the times I have seen Stidham play, and I, I mean, I don't know if that was going back to uh, the preseason or whatever, but I think he sucks. Okay? I know Tommy Cheetah. 
Bilicic would have found if there was any reason for him to play, Bilicic would have already had him in there. Well, and I agree with you there. When you're talking about Tom Brady coming in for Drew Bledsoe, I know he had a rough first game, but after that, he never had many rough games at all. This guy Stidham, I, I, I mean, I think his um, accuracy is definitely in question and confidence. You talk about Tommy Cheetah, at least the man was confident, really, I mean, has always been confident in his career, but now he's just a crybaby when anybody puts a finger on him. But, you know. Um, well, I there, think, there's uh, a reason why Tommy Cheetah was seventh string behind Brian Greasy at Michigan. His attitude. Well. I'm just saying I don't think he really had the talent. And it kind of really shows a glaring difference when you put Stidham in front of Belichick, even with taped practice, and they can't find a reason to put him in the game over Cam Newton. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This yeah. makes uh, Tim Tebow look like he could have been an option. I, I, I'm sure that Belichick was like, hey, can we get Tim on the phone, please? It wouldn't surprise me based on their political views. But if you talk about <laughs> – you talk about Cam Newton, you know what I heard Terry Bradshaw say, or I don't know if it was Bradshaw or Collinsworth or some, some public figure. They were talking about how Cam Newton may not be fully recovered from his shoulder, off-season shoulder surgery, and that the way he's throwing is a telltale sign of that. What do you think about that? Is Cam Newton done? Um. I think he should have been done. The fact that he's had the success that he has had with what I foresee, what I see as being some kind of glaring mental instability. I mean, the guy's wearing a dress and everything else when he's showing up at the podium, the guy, I don't know. There's just something, there's one thing to be a little bit different. There's one thing to be like a Deion Sanders, a self-promoter or even an Emmanuel Sanders or something like that. But some of this stuff, that he's doing in terms of his wardrobe and other things. I think there's something mentally unstable there. And uh, the fact that he's been able to have the success that he has had this year has been amazing. So in addition to the fact that his shoulder could be hurt, and I I don't think he's fully recovered. I think the way that the Panthers used him as a running back um, is now starting to also show telltale signs of that as well. Oh, I agree with you. He's gotten a lot of hits in his career. But going back to his fashion statements, I think mainly that's just being an attention getter. But, um, I mean, the fact if he wears, like, um, a woman's scarf on his head in a post-game interview and Damon Amendolara says he's wearing a Russian babushka or something, (laughs) you know, um, I think he's he's just trying to make a fashion statement and be an attention getter to stand out. And you're talking about a man who's won the MVP or who won the MVP five years ago. And I think that is a quick fall from grace. But when you talk about how he's used a lot as a running back, yes, he has run the ball a lot and he's taken a lot of punishment. And you go back to last season when he got injured in a preseason game, I think it was his foot even, um, and I don't think it was a bad hit or it was the way he was running. I can't remember exactly. But um, but just having to have surgery on that shoulder means that, uh, yeah, he probably suffered a lot of damage just from running the ball when he's had to run the ball. But, I mean, they essentially ran him like Mike Allstott. I wouldn't be surprised if even with the updated technology in the helmets – 
that he just doesn't have some form of really fast acting CTE. Like the guy is nuts. Well, um, I mean, I think uh, fashion decisions can indicate maybe <laughs> some type of, uh, you know, sanity or whatever. But um, at the same time, you know, I mean, he's just being – if he wants to wear stuff like he wears, more power to him. I mean, I just want to judge him based on his performance for talking about his football performance. But um, other than that – Anything else about the NFL you'd like to mention, Montoya? There's one thing and one thing only. Um, as a Broncos fan, I want to reach out to any Broncos fans who are also listening. I am not a Jerry Judy supporter because of the fact that he went to Alabama. But with what happened today in that game against the Chargers, we you cannot hold a rookie receiver – accountable for something like that. The guy hasn't had a lot of passes thrown his way in the last few games. Um, there's a reason why he has credibility in the fact that established veterans like Emmanuel Sanders have come to him to ask tips about how to run routes. So the guy is a tactician in terms of the way that he devotes himself to the game. And even though I don't necessarily like the college he went to, I do have to say that uh, everybody's entitled to a bad day or two at work and we shouldn't be so quick to basically say that he lost this game because there are, and that's what I'm seeing on social media. And that's the reason why I'm bringing this up as fans. We also can't break the spirit of a young man who's maybe 21, 22 years old. And remember, this is a person who is going to go home at night. And uh, we already almost did that to Garrett Bowles. Let's not do it to Jerry Judy. Okay, well, good point there. You know, um, rookies are rookies, and I will say that. And I've mentioned this before. Jared Goff had zero wins when he was brought in as a rookie. Um, There are growing pains. You just need to be out there and get your reps. And um, in the next year, you'll be more confident. But then look what's happened to Goff. He's sort of been this year in flux, and look at Carson Wentz. Look at what well, look at what happened. Look what has happened to Carson Wentz. Um, so maybe not criticize him now, but wait two or three years if um, you know there are still some uh, crazy, crazy things happening on the field as far as performance to give you, is concerned. To give you context with today's game, though, there he dropped multiple passes that were good passes from Drew Locke in his hands that he should have caught. One of them was a slant route at the end of the game. He had Chris Harris Jr. beat, and all he had to do was extend his hands, which the ball hit him in the hands, and he just dropped it. If he catches that ball, he's gone. No one can touch him with his speed, and the Broncos win the game. But he's young. He's 21. He's 22. As fans, we have to remember a lot of us are significantly older than he is, and we have to be the ones to essentially be adults, and we we cannot go to him on social media. We cannot go to him. He already feels bad enough. Um, You could see it in his facial expressions and everything else. Um, I just believe he had a bad day at the office. It is what it is. We all have those, and uh, I just we're Broncos fans. We have more class than that. Got it. 
Good point. Point taken. You know, um, you can't you can't say someone should be beheaded just because he couldn't catch a football. So, agree. All right, Montoya, ready for our who's better segment? Let's do that. All right. Finally, we're going to do our who's better segment where we decide the better L.A. player. So, Toya, who's the better NFL tight end for the L.A. sports football scene? Darren Waller of the Raiders, Tyler Higby of the Rams, and Hunter or Hunter Henry of the Chargers. Well... We, you and I are revisiting something we discussed earlier in the podcast. And I think now that we have a season behind us, we need to reflect essentially on where we were. And you and I looked at Higby and we also looked at Hunter Henry. I said Hunter Henry was the better tight end and you said it was Higby. And I think um, for the most part, we were both kind of wrong. Um, while Higby has been able to play a majority of the season, He has, what, 400 yards, a little over 400 yards. And one of the other things that I prefaced Hunter Henry with was he's a good tight end if he can manage to stay healthy, but who didn't play today because he's not healthy. And now let's also take a look at the wild card in Waller, who uh, has for the last two years been the safety blanket for Derek Carr. Um, So I'm going to have to say that... uh, Neither of the two teams that neither of the two tight ends who are the main tight ends for the LA proper team are the better tight end. I'm going to have to go with LA suburb of Las Vegas and go with Waller. What do you think? Okay, just just based on what you said, uh, Waller has had a better season. As far I think as he's had a better career, two seasons. Yeah, better two seasons. If you go back to 19 and 20, and you mentioned as uh, in Oakland and Las Vegas last couple years, he went from six receptions in 18 for Oakland to 90 last year to now 98 for now Las Vegas Raiders of Oakland and Los Angeles. Okay, going back and reflecting on what I said earlier and choosing Tyler Higbee, He has not had the best season this year, and that is because of Jared Goff's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde performance, and usually in seasons past, especially last year, Higby seemed to be that safety blanket in net for Goff. Now, I was out on Henry because of his injury history and lack of performance, on as, as in not being on the field, I think you got to be on the field and perform. However, he has played 14 games this year, but you did mention he's injured again and did not play today. So, but just purely looking on stats, okay, Waller is the better tight end, and we could argue better LA player because of all the cholos liking uh, the Raiders still <laughs> in Los Angeles and in, in the Raiders. Uh, Choloism, propaganda, paraphernalia being very visible here still. But, but, um, you know, if I'm talking about, okay, this season, Waller is the better, better LA player. 
And yeah, you mentioned, okay, LA proper. And we do have to give the Raiders some acknowledgement of their past ties to the city of Los Angeles. And, um, and what I mentioned about their fans here, fan history. However, um, looking at his career, I'm not really sold on him in the first three years of his career. If I'm just looking at the back of his football card. Okay, he went uh, being a decent, what, uh, draft choice, draft pick. So, no, no, six-round pick, 204th overall in 2015 for the Baltimore, Baltimore Ravens. Getting two receptions that year, 10 receptions the next year, then moving to Oakland, getting six receptions, and now 90 and 98. So, you know what that says? Okay, the guy can mature. Now, what I'm not seeing and what we see with Henry is probably what he should have done in the first place with getting 60 receptions so far, 613 yards and four touchdowns. Higby, I don't want to say he has regressed because he was Goff's safety blanket last year. But Higby, out of uh, 15 games, he's played in 13 of them. And what has been very noticeable on his elbow and arm is like some, I don't want to say cast, but there's some wrap on there with some type of, uh, you know, like a, a stabilizing rod or something. I don't know. So I think he's playing with an injury, you know. And if I'm talking about talent, I mean, 98 receptions for a tight end, I think is amazing. So I do want to give Darren Waller credit where credit is due and being the one um, who is leading all of them in statistics. Okay, so I will just agree with you. We'll say Waller is now the better as far as, you know, the L.A. football teams who the fans are cheering for here. Um, And reflecting, I want to say, okay, maybe I was wrong on choosing Higby earlier in the year because I was also concerned about Hunter Henry uh, being with the new quarterback, whether it was Tyrod Taylor or Justin Herbert. So in light of that, um, I think it's a good discussion for the most popular teams in the LA area, the Raiders, the Chargers, and the Rams. I'm really sorry to say, because I'm a Rams guy, that Higby, it just, I don't want to say it seems like he's regressed, because it seems like a lot of things are in flux with uh, Jared Goff's performance, confidence, uh, sometimes he's very good, and sometimes it seems like he's uh, not so good anymore this year. Well, let's also take a look with Hunter Henry and the fact that when he came into the league, that uh, Joan Rivers really had a great rapport with an existing tight end who's one of the Chargers' all-time leaders. So um, I think having the – I actually thought that having the new quarterback, regardless of who it was – and not having Antonio Gates on the field at all anymore was going to be something that would light a fire under um, Hunter Henry to take that next step up because he he would be getting those receptions. And when you look at his numbers, you know, 600 yards isn't phenomenal, but it's not terrible. Not for a tight end at all. Mm-mm. And I think 60 receptions is pretty decent. But what does that say about uh, Waller here getting 98 receptions? Um and I mean, it says a lot. Maybe he's too reliant on his tight end, Darren Waller. And if you're well, talking let's also, about. Let's take a look at Raiders receiving options. I mean, they did pick another Alabama receiver ahead of Jerry Judy. 
and he really hasn't done much. And outside of rugs, um, they have Nelson Aguilar, who is a washout from the Eagles, and um, I can't think of anybody else really. You got you got Aguilar, who I think is pretty decent. Okay, you got Henry Ruggs, and Henry Ruggs the third. He's a rookie. Emma, you know, is that right? From Alabama, he's he's a rookie from Alabama, and, and so uh, so he was their high round pick. And what do you got? Also, you got Hunter Renfro, and I don't think he's oh, yes. done much himself. And their second stringers are you got Zane Jones, Brian Edwards, um, and Tyrell Williams, who's on IR. So it seems, and let's not forget the backup tight end from Dallas, who's on the Raiders this year, Jason Witten. Jason who sucks and couldn't uh, stick around in the broadcast booth. So he tried to get back in the league last year and he's just trying to extend his career. So you can say why um, nobody's giving him another shot to be a broadcaster anymore. But uh, that year off he had. So, so you said Aguilar is a washout, but you know what? Carson Wentz and going back to Foles, I think we're reliant on Aguilar. But he obviously is, um, I don't want to say he's not the same player, or he doesn't seem to be the same player as he was a couple years ago. And uh, you have Ruggs, who's still coming in his own. And you mentioned uh, Jerry Judy in the last segment as well, um, being rookie and making, you know, rookie mistakes. I don't want to say Ruggs is completely, um, you know, like been making mistakes. I think he's had had some bright spots this year, especially when he pulled that down to win the game against the hapless Jets, even though it was versus the hapless Jets. Well, again, let's also take a look at where they came from. Both he and Judy played at Alabama. The Raiders chose Ruggs in true Raider fashion because he was um, a bit faster in terms of, you know, his 40 and some other things. But... Um, Jerry Judy is at least a tactician in the fact that, you know, he runs routes so precisely that established veterans, as I said in the last segment, such as Emmanuel Sanders, whom I respect as being someone who would pull his body on the line to make the reception, are coming to him for tips on how to better run routes. But this is about tight ends, not about Alabama personnel in the NFL. Um, I just think that Derek Carr doesn't have a lot of options to throw to outside of Waller, and if you look at his height, the guy is like LeBron James in terms of the guy's like really super tall, so he brings some speed in as well. So he's everything that Derek Carr doesn't have in a receiver. He is 6'6", and just to make a point about Ruggs and his potential, um, he's ha- he only has 23 receptions on the air and 40 targets. So that what does that tell you? With Aguilar trying to be a number one when he's never been a number one. And Ruggs, a rookie who he has no faith in, obviously, and except for um, he was basically tra- told to throw it up in the air, you know, just because the game was on the line. Um, he doesn't have confidence in these guys. So who does he have confidence in? Well, he only has confidence in this guy, Waller, which is, does the guy, Waller, really have the best talent or... Is it just by necessity that he has to throw to him over a hundred times um, because he has no other weapons unless Ruggs well, and these other guys develop? 
Well, let, let's also, though, take a look at Ruggs. You mentioned the number of targets he had versus the number of receptions. It was less than 50%. Did I hear you, hear you correctly? No, a little over 50%. 23 receptions, 40 targets. So I, it's not like he's not getting targets. Um, he's getting he's getting half of 40, what, or maybe little... 40 targets in 15 games. Again, uh, it, it means that either A, he's not in sync with Derek Carr because he's not the tactician that Jerry Judy is, or he's, you know, when he does throw the ball to him, the guy's not there. He's not catching the ball. The numbers, you know, don't necessarily lie in terms of that. Either you caught it or you didn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is an overall percentage where you're swaying something based and you're adding something in and you're taking something out. He either caught it or he didn't. So then back to the question for the who's the better tight end, Waller, Higby, or Henry. Is Waller just the better one because of necessity, because of his monster season being that safety net? Or do these other guys, Higby and Henry, have some talent that Waller does not have that um, is not being shown one reason or another because of Higby's elbow injury and um, Henry's injury history? despite playing 14 games this year and having a decent season for a tight end with 60 receptions and 600 yards and four touchdowns. Well, let's look at it this way. There's a reason why Hunter Henry was drafted as high as he was. There's a reason why Higby was drafted as high as he was. And there's a reason why Waller slipped to the sixth round. So I give your point about there, about this being out of necessity um, as a lot of validity. It's the fact that he has the size, he has the range, and he's the only one in terms of those Raiders receivers who's putting up any kind of consistency. So as of this moment, this may be something we have to revisit then going into next season or in the, oh, middle, yeah, or the, middle, the middle of next season as far as who's the better tight end here, thus claiming the title of the better L.A. player, even though the Raiders are in Las Vegas, which is a quick drive out of Los Angeles. All right, Montoya. It doesn't, doesn't exist without Los Angeles. Let's put Vegas in its place. It is a suburb. It might be in another state, but new, the whole state of New Jersey is a suburb of New York, so it's not that much different. Yeah, they're relying on tourists mainly from Southern California. That is for sure. In the same way, Reno is relying on people from San Francisco and Sacramento. Yeah, so who's going to be going to uh, the Roomba cell block Vegas once it opens up? <laughs> You're going to have a whole bunch of cholos from L.A. driving up there and uh, shoplifting the Raider fan shops and breaking into cars. They were were saving the money they were making from making Clippers jerseys in a sweatshop on Los Angeles Street so they could go to Las Vegas. Yeah. (laughs) To break into cars. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, and, uh, have a whole bunch of fights beating up uh, fans of uh, other teams. You know, it's just like when you go to when you go to Dodger Stadium and you're wearing Giants gear. Oh, yeah. You know, I remember going to a Giants Dodgers game in San Francisco wearing a Dodgers hat. And um, people were not very nice to me. (laughs) I could definitely see that. You know, talk about if if that happened in the days of COVID, I could have sued a guy because he yelled in my ear so loud I could feel spit coming out of his mouth onto my ear, you know, saying, (laughs) go back to LA, Dodgers suck. But 
yeah, we'll see. But all right, Montoya. So on that note, everybody, the better LA player, albeit he's a uh, member of Las Vegas Raiders right now, is Darren Waller of the Las Vegas Raiders. Of Anaheim. Of <laughs> Oakland and Los Angeles. So that's it for today, everyone. Thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you have a question you'd like Toya and me to discuss, please let us know and give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at LASportsRT1. Until next time, take care.